perfect gift, Jesus Christ. Amen. We started this day with the play, doing our, well, with Sunday school, then with our uh, Christmas play, and the Christmas play, the first part was just phenomenal. Uh, we had some, our youth did a, a great job, amen. Did a, a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job. And I'm just going to ask those youth who participated this morning and who are going to participate this evening in the play to just stand so that we can acknowledge you. They did a, a fabulous job, a, a wonderful job, and we thank God for them. Wonderful time of year, one of my, well, really, uh, favorite times of the year to come together with family and to worship and to just think about the wonderful things that God has done for us. But this is also a time of the year that uh, we can become easily distracted and we can easily lose focus on what matters. I believe that the text that we're going to look at today helps us to press past the distractions that keep us from doing what this season really calls for us to do, and that is to worship God and to thank God for sending Christ unto the world. I believe that Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, is going to help us to do that. So if you will be so kind to stand to your feet and to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, and we will read verses 1 through 11 together. Amen. Praise God for this wonderful choir. Always does a wonderful job helping us to appreciate the presence of the Lord. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, a text that is going to help us to press past the distractions of the season and to press on to worship the King. And we know that in verse, in verse 10 through verse 25, uh, that Mary and Joseph has just received word that they will have a child and that Mary will uh, give birth to a boy, and his name shall be Jesus, even though she is a virgin. Verse 1 reads, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go 
and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they heard, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That was verse 12. Today we want to tag this pericope. I'm pressing on to worship the king. I'm pressing on to worship the king. Look at your neighbor eyeball to eyeball and just say, neighbor. If they're not looking at you in the eye, look at their foreheads. Amen. Put some pressure on them and say, neighbor, during this holiday season, I'm pressing past the distraction and I'm going to worship the king. Amen. You may be seated. I'm pressing on to worship the king. As a young child, Christmas felt like a preview of heaven. The season was full of peace and love because everyone seemed to be on their best behavior. For a couple of days, the everyday problems that our family had seemed to have supernaturally disappeared. They supernaturally seemed to just float away. But the second best part of Christmas, of course, as a child, was discovering and opening up our gifts. I feel that my parents did a wonderful job in helping my, me and my siblings to understand what the Christmas season was about. And they helped us to focus on the true meaning of Christmas. But you know, there was one year that I completely lost focus. There was one year that I asked for an expensive gift and that I would have been upset if I did not receive it. It was around 1989 or 1990, and it was when the Sega Genesis had just come out. The Sega Genesis. Now, the Sega Genesis is a gaming classic. It's in the same category as Super Nintendo and the Nintendo. It's one of those video games that are just classic, that are just precious. And for those of you who are stuck on PlayStation 2, the Xbox 360, and the Wii, and who have never played Sega Genesis, you don't know what you are missing. No game compares to Sega. And I'm a gamer. I like, I like Xbox 360, but no game compares to Sega. Think about it. Sega and Nintendo was the most personal games that you can possibly have. They're the only games that often required your breath to make them work. 
You remember playing Nintendo, playing Sega Genesis, and all of a sudden the game would freeze. And you would have to stop the game, take out the cartilage, cartridge, and blow on them. And then you would look at the person you were playing with and say, watch this, and put it back in. Talk about a self-esteem booster. You just felt good after that, as if you just breathed life into man or something. Your Xbox 360 and your Wii cannot make you feel that good. So that Christmas, I wanted a Sega Genesis. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I woke up early in the morning. That was, was the traditional Christmas day. Me and my sister, we met in the hallway. We were jumping up and down and excited. We went into our parents' bedroom, and we were laughing and tugging at them, jumping on their bed, saying, get up, Mom and Dad, get up. It's time, it's time to go downstairs. And they rolled out of bed slowly, marched down the stairs, lit the fireplace, and we prayed together. And then we began to open our gifts. And I remember after opening a few gifts, beginning to be disappointed. As I was surrounded by socks and undershirts and church clothes, you know, things that are insignificant to children. And I remember just looking at my mother and my father saying, oh, no, you didn't. And all of a sudden, they come up to me with a small box. And I'm looking at this box and I'm thinking to myself, there is no way a Sega Genesis can fit in that box. And they are just smiling, and they just give it to me. And I begin to unwrap it and begin to open it. And all of a sudden, I see a cartilage. I see a game, and it's Sonic the Hedgehog. And I jump up and down and pump my fist and say, yes, yes. And I stopped, and I said, where's the Sega? <laughs> and they pointed me to the closet. I said, go, go to the closet. Went to the closet, opened the game, opened up my gift, and there it was, a Sega Genesis. And my father took it and, and plugged it into the TV. And for the rest of the day, we sat in front of that television with pure bliss and amazement, exploring various games. That Christmas was not about Jesus. That Christmas was about that Sega Genesis. And that Christmas, I worshipped that Sega Genesis. Now, you can excuse me, right? I was a child. Paul said, when I was a child, I reasoned as a child. I felt like a child. I spoke like a child. And when I became older, I put childish things away. Now... I can emphatically say that Jesus truly is the reason for the season. And that the gospel calls for us to remember this time of year and to respond by worshiping Christ, understanding that he is the one who deserves our adoration. And in today's text, we meet an a unidentified group of men as far as numbers. And they are anticipating a great gift for the season. They are anticipating seeing the, the king of the Jews. But as they are going about 
seeing the king of the Jews. They run into a distraction, but instead of letting the distraction take them off course from worshiping Jesus, they press on and worship. And that's what I come to tell you today. Press on and worship during this season. There's a temptation to get thrown off track and to allow the things that are not major to become major. But the Lord is telling us to press on. Well, let's look at these men and let's talk about these men for a moment. The Bible records, and in your translation in verse 1 and 2, record that these men are magi. Magi. Now, a magi is also translated in some uh, translations as being wise men. Magi were astrologers. They were scientists. They also were wealthy. They studied the stars. They looked at the constellations. They were able to tell certain things according to the alignment of the stars. They got paid big money to do this. But in Matthew chapter 2, we see that God has revealed something to these magi. He allowed a star to come out that was a symbol to them that the king of the Jews had been born. God allowed these astrologers, these wise men, these magi to receive a special revelation about the coming of the king of the Jews. And you know, as we look at the magi and as we think about God revealing himself in this way, we can't help but to think about the fact that they were not Jews. They were not Jews. The Bible says that they had come from the far east. Here it is in Matthew chapter 2 that God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is allowing Matthew to foreshadow or to see the gospel this early. See, the gospel, or to the Jews, the, the Messiah that was to be born was theirs. And God was their God. But these magi were not Jews. These magi were Gentiles. Isn't that something? That already in Matthew chapter 2, we see some Gentiles receiving special revelation from God. And we know by the end of Matthew that the Gentiles are going to be accepted into the family of God, just as the Jews are, as we read in the New Testament. So God already had a plan and he is showing Matthew's audience that he is not exclusive, that he is inclusive and he has always been inclusive all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and that he called the Jews to be a light to the nations and to bring them good news. Well, these magi, these wealthy men. These astrologers receive revelation from the Lord that the king of the Jews were now born. And now they, set, they are set on a mission to travel and, and, and to find exactly where he is placed. Exactly where he is placed. They go on a mission trip together. They probably heard about this king of the Jews from other Jews or from reading the Old Testament. They hear that he is born. They hear that he's alive. They're, they're running and they're, they're traveling fast trying to follow this star. 
But then I begin to ask myself the question as we look at this text, how wise were they really? How wise were they really? The Bible says that they come to Bethlehem of Judea and that when they show up to Bethlehem of Judea, they begin to ask the question, where is the king of the Jews? Where does this child lay? They are in this country seeking and looking for this king of the Jews who has been born. And they are seeking so fervently and apparently so loudly that the king hears about it. The king hears about some magi asking about where the king of the Jews are. Isn't that interesting? That here they are, wise men, going to another man's territory who is king. And going through the city, saying, where is the real king? (laughs) They would have made horrible FBI agents. The text tells us that Herod, the king, heard this. And verse 3 says that he was troubled. And that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Herod was troubled. Here, Herod, the current king, is upset. He's saying, wait a minute. Who are these people that's coming to ask where the king of the Jews is? Herod had heard about the king of the Jews. Herod knew somewhat about the Old Testament. So then he says, well, go get me the Jewish priests. Go get me the scribes of the land and have them come to me. And I want to interview them about where this king was born. Herod. Herod was a brutal man. Historians say that Herod the Great, who this is, that he was a a man who was an alien to humanity. Herod was known for being a murderer. Herod was known for being treacherous. In fact, as, as we read history, we know that Herod even killed some of his own close family members. Because they didn't agree with him on things. Herod now calls for the Jewish priests and the scribes to come because he wants to know more about this king who has been born. But Herod also had something else brewing underneath his heart. And it was this. It was that Herod was only a half Jew. He was from the family of or the lineage of Esau and Edom. So even in this text, we see a battle between Jacob and between Esau. Jesus from the lineage of Jacob. Herod from the lineage of Esau, who was set as king over the Judea, Bethlehem area by Mark Anthony, not J-Lo's husband. We see a battle raging, a jealousy brewing, anger. As he's thinking someone is going to come in my kingdom and tell me that a king is born who is not in my lineage. But check this out. The Jews, the Jewish priests, the scribes, the ones who who know the law, the ones who know the prophets. The ones who know the Psalms, the ones who who are supposed to know Isaiah 9 and 6, the ones who are supposed to be excited about this one who is coming, about this one who will have the government upon his shoulder, 
about the one whose name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. About this one who will govern with peace to no end. About this one who will sit on the throne of David. They they should know that this Messiah who is going to be born, this king of the Jews who are going to be born, is going to liberate them and set them free. You would think that when he called them that they would be excited. We see that they quote Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And they tell Herod where this king is going to be born. And how he was going to be raised in Judea. But they don't leave with the Magi to go and search for him. They don't praise God for his birth. The text is silent about them showing any excitement and any praise. Possibly. They have become distracted. For 400 years, they have heard the the testimonies about this coming Messiah. For 400 years, there was not a prophet to speak about him, but they truly read about him in his synagogues. And now these heathens, these magi who have received revelation from the Lord come and say that he's here among us. And they don't search. Maybe. They were comfortable in their plush houses. Maybe they had become comfortable with the state of Israel and the way things were going. Maybe they were just comfortable being in the presence of Herod the Great and being sought by him, but they don't move. Herod the Great makes this season all about him. Herod the Great puts up a huge distraction for these priests and a huge distraction for these magi. He calls the magi in. He calls these wise people in and he sits them down and he begins to interrogate them. ESV said he ascertained information from them. And he began to ask them about where this king was. And these magi, these wise men picked up on Herod's scheme. And they, they picked up and they realized that this man really doesn't want to know where he is to worship him. But he has ill feelings toward him. Herod the Great made this season all about him. He wanted his kingdom to last and Jesus being born was a threat. And the ones who knew, the ones who knew most about the Messiah, the ones who knew most about the coming king, were silent and got caught up in Herod's empire. Hmm. Herod the Great was a distraction for the priests and for these magi. And today there is a distraction during Christmas season. There is a distraction that takes us away from what Christmas is really about. There is a economy that has been set up, a a commerce that has been set up, an expectation that Christmas is really about mistletoes. That Christmas is really about eggnog and holiday parties. 
And Christmas is really about giving gifts and going into debt and and showing people how much we love them by buying them things that they will never wear. (laughs) Satan wants us as Christians to fall into a a spirit of, of distraction. He wants us to be lured in by advertising. He wants us to be lured in by by this culture that has been created in America and other parts of the world. He wants us to be lured in by the decorations and the Christmas novels and the great music. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't get into it because I get into it. Delilah is my favorite station this time of year. You know Delilah, the Christmas song. Delilah, I love it. Much due to my wife, amen. My wife loves the station. I used to say, oh, my goodness, November's here. That means Christmas music. But now I'm right in the car with her. But that's not what Christmas is about. And we can't let Satan distract us from letting the world know what this season is really about. We've got to press on. Got to press past this facade. And we've got to move on to worship Christ. A lot of people get depressed this time of year because they can't do something for someone else. Some people even commit suicide this time of the year. Some people feel guilty this time of the year because they can't get their children what they wanted to get them and they let it ruin the whole whole reason of the season which is to thank God for allowing his son to come into the world to bear our sins and to give us freedom from these things. Herod wants to distract you. These magi didn't let it happen. They saw what Herod was up to, and they pressed on. And after they pressed on, because we know the star stopped uh, being visible, as they went into the city and asked questions, is because they no longer saw the star. But after Herod questioned them, and after they pressed on to find Jesus, the, the star reappeared. And the star led them to Christ. It led them to this child that was born. Herod tells them in verse 8, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I Two may come and worship him. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with joy, great joy. When they saw the star, when they saw that God was still guiding them, when they saw that God had, was giving them the grace to continue to pursue Jesus, to pursue this king. The Bible says that they got excited, that they rejoiced when they, when they were able to refocus on what matters most, they became excited. Verse 10, verse 11, I'm sorry. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And they fell down and they worshiped him. This is what Christmas is about. This is what this time of year is about. 
This is what all of the narratives about the birth of Jesus is about. Matthew's narrative, Luke's negative narrative, John's different narrative in John chapter. It's all about worship. When people find out who has come, they worship. And the Bible says that these men, these magi, these Gentiles who would have been looked down on by these Jewish priests, which may be a reason why they did not follow them to worship Jesus. These magi, they come to the house and they see Jesus in the house in the arms of Mary. And the Bible says they fell down and they worshiped. These Gentiles teach us something incredible about Christmas, something incredible about the incarnation, something incredible about God. And it's this, that when we meditate and we think about the birth of Jesus, we should respond by worshiping, by pressing past distractions, by putting our eyes on the gift and by worshiping. Worship involves a few things. These magi teach us a few things. The first thing that worship involved was it involved an expression. Worship involves an outward expression. The Bible says they fell down. They fell down and worshiped. In January 20th, 1981, some American hostages hostages came over from Iran. They were free. Their plane hit the ground. And it is said, and you can see the video of them getting off the plane. And the moment that they get off the plane, you would think that they run, would run to their families and hug them, but they didn't. They all stepped off the plane, hit the ground, and kissed the ground. They fell down and kissed the ground. Now, why did they fall down and kiss the ground? Because they remembered where they were just days ago being held hostage in Iran, life on the line, in a dark cell, and now they realized where they had been and they wanted to pay homage to America for the negotiation. So they kissed the ground, recognizing that they were once one place <laughs> and now they are at another place. Worship. Worship is an outward expression. It's us coming sometimes to the Lord in our secret place and falling on the ground saying, Lord, I recognize that I once was a hostage. Lord, I recognize that I once was lost. Lord, I recognize that I once was broken. Lord, I recognize that I once was confused and expressing our gratitude to the Lord and saying thank you. That's what the narrative teaches. That's what the narrative shows us. The narrative shows us that these men recognize that they once was without a special revelation. They once was without a star. 
They once was in the hands of Herod, and Herod could have killed them. But now they're free, and now they see Jesus. During this Christmas season, you better not let Satan upset you and get you all frustrated because you couldn't get somebody something or because you didn't get something. You better press past those distractions. Lift up your hands and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for love. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for allowing your son. Expression of worship. Throughout the narratives, everyone who received this revelation responded by expressing their gratitude. Think about the angels. Luke chapter 2. Come down to earth and have a conversation with some shepherds. Tell the shepherds that the, the Son of God has been born and that they will find him nearby in a manger, waddling or swaddled by, by, by clothes. But just after they told him that, they couldn't help but to show the shepherds how to worship. The Bible says that they shouted glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill towards men. The angels, a multitude, couldn't get enough of Jesus in heaven. So they had to travel down to earth and show us how to do it. Worship is an expression. Worship is an outward expression of our adoration of Christ. You still don't believe me? Remember those shepherds? And remember how when the shepherds left the angels, they went and saw Mary and they spoke well of Mary and told Mary what had happened about the angels? The Bible says that those shepherds left with great joy, rejoicing and glorifying God. When you know what the season is about, when you know that Jesus came and who Jesus is, you don't have a problem lifting holy hands every once in a while. You don't have a problem getting on your face at home and worshiping every once in a while. You don't have a problem putting your face in a pillow and praying to God prayers of thanksgiving every once in a while. You still don't believe me. You'll die hard, huh? Travel on with me. And let's look at how Mary responded when she found out that the Lord had given her the grace to bear this child who would be called the Messiah and save the world for, the sin, for her sins. You remember in Luke chapter 2 how Mary wrote a song called Mary Magnificent. Oh, she wrote a song, didn't she? She praised God for this revelation. She praised God for what he had done. Not just Mary. But we could talk about Simeon, the priest, and how when he saw Jesus, how when he saw the chosen one, how when he saw the Messiah, he expressed his appreciation to him by praising. Not just Simeon. Think about the prophetess. Think about the prophetess who was in the temple night and day, fasting and praying, waiting on the consolation of Israel. And when the consolation of Israel got there, what did she do? She praised, she worshiped, she adored because she knew just how good he is. Oh, and Elizabeth. Didn't Elizabeth do the same thing? Not only Elizabeth, think about John the Baptist. The Bible says that when Elizabeth met Mary, uh, who, when they were cousins and they met, the Bible says that John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb. He worshiped in Elizabeth's womb because he knew what the season was all about. This season is about worship. 
It's about expressing our gratitude to God for sending his son. One way we could do that is when we're out shopping, when we're out at the mall, when we're out at the, star, at the store, and when people engage us in conversation about the Christmas season is to turn it away from the things and to turn it to the king. Someone looks at you and say, girl, I'm telling you, this time of year is a wonderful time of year, but every time this year I go into debt. We can look at them and express how, much, how good God is. And we can say, you know what, I thank God for this time of the year. Because for this time of the year, I celebrate not by going into debt, but I celebrate by praising the one who paid my debt. By praising the one who took away my debt. Express it. Not only is worship about an expression, but worship is about obedience. Worship is about obedience. So I looked throughout the narratives and, and took a, a, a look at each of the people in the narratives and how they responded to the revelation of Jesus Christ. I was baffled and, and confused for a moment as I looked at Joseph. And I noticed that Joseph did not outwardly express his gratitude. I noticed that Joseph didn't have a song. I noticed that Joseph didn't go haywire like the angels. I noticed that Joseph didn't jump like John the Baptist. I said, Lord, what is it with Joseph? So I read the text and I looked at Joseph. I noticed something. That Joseph was worshiping. Because Joseph was obedience. Obedience is a form of worship. Everything that the angel had told Joseph in the dream and, 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 and called Joseph to respond, everything that the angel asked Joseph to do, everything that the Lord commanded Joseph to do, the Bible says, and Joseph did it. Think about Joseph being in a tough situation. His woman, his boo, who he's betrothed to or engaged to, is carrying a child that is not his, that did not come from him. And he could easily divorce her, put her away quietly, as the text says. But when scripture, when, when the angel, when the Lord speaks to him and reveals to him, he doesn't, he's obedient. Man, God is intrusive. Think about it. We serve an intrusive God, <laughs> a personal God. God is so intrusive that he took over a, a woman's body to, to bear his child. But when that woman saw that it was God and God's will, she responded with obedience. Worship is obedience. The Magi not only fell down in worship, not only expressed their adoration for Christ by falling down, but they expressed their adoration for Christ by obeying the Lord and following the star. They were obedient. What about us this Christmas season? As we press past these distractions, as we press past what Herod is putting in order and in place, God is saying, don't just lift up holy hands on Sunday morning. Be obedient. 
Every single person in here has an area of their heart, an area of their lives that we can stand to be more obedient in. None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect, but we serve a gracious and a loving God who deserves our complete surrender, who deserves our obedience. Obedience is a part of worship. Remember Abraham? Do you remember when God told Abraham to do something that was difficult? To kill his only son? Testing Abraham's heart in adoration? Imagine how difficult that is. A child that you've waited for for decades. The Lord is now asking you to offer him up as a sacrifice. The Bible says that Abraham took Isaac and they went to the mountain and they were with their servants. And Abraham said something peculiar to his servants as they went and ascended up to the mountain. Abraham said, you guys wait right here. For me and the child are going up on the mountain to worship. <laughs> to worship. And then right after that, I'm, I'm expecting to see that they sung songs to the Lord. I'm expecting to see that Abraham preached a sermon. I'm expecting to see that they were just up there having a holy good time. And if you're Pentecostal, maybe they're talking in tongues. If you're Baptist, they're just... Praying? I'm expecting to see that. But that's not what happened. What is Abraham doing? What is his worship? His worship is obedience. He's taking wood and building an altar. <laughs> He's obeying a difficult command because he adores the Lord. The Lord has called us to do things that are at times difficult. The Lord has called us to do some things that our flesh does not want to do. The Lord has called us to do some things that just aren't as pleasurable as we might think they should be. But don't you know that the Lord blesses those who are obedient? The Lord blesses those who press on past the distractions and who say, Lord, I'm yours. Read in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel says to Saul some incredible words about worship being, uh, obedience being a part of worship. He says, has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying his voice? Does the Lord delight in just these random sacrifices and these random things that, that, that he has put in place more than you simply obeying him? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And presumption is an iniquity and an idolatry. The Lord has called us to worship him this season. To worship him by expressing our adoration for Christ. And to worship him by being obedient. By not allowing things like coming to church or saying God bless you or, or being the nicest person we can be to outweigh what's most important. And that is obeying his voice day to day.
I was reading Psalms chapter 19 one day. Wonderful psalm about the word of the Lord, how great it is. And it's one of my favorite chapters. And one day, verse 13 just struck me in my heart. David said, praise this prayer to God. Keep back your servant also from willful sins. Keep back your servant from willful sins. Willful sins. Sins that we know that is wrong, but we are doing because we are comfortable or because they feel good. That struck me. Caused me to think about my life. Think about the small things. Think about things that I would normally overlook and to repent and say, Lord, worship is more than me lifting my hands in the sanctuary. Worship is more than me not just offending people. Worship involves me in every part of the day, even when I am alone. This Christmas, press past the distractions by worshiping, by expressing yourself outwardly to the Lord, by being obedient to what he has commanded you. And each of us in here, we know what he has commanded us, and he will give us the grace to do it. But worship involves one more thing, and that is the giving of gifts, the giving of gifts. As we look at this text in Matthew, we see that these magi, that they gave gifts, that they worshiped, they fell down, and then it says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And myrrh. They fell to the ground, and they brought something to the king. They brought some gold, which represents purity, frankincense, which was an ingredient that was used in sacred oil and perfume, which often gave a sweet aroma, and myrrh. Myrrh was like frankincense. It was a fragrant gum that was normally brought over from the land of Canaan, and it was, and it was seen as, 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 as sacred. They brought some very expensive gifts to the Lord because they treasured him. They opened their treasures to Christ and gave some expensive gifts because... They recognize how great he was. This Christmas, the Lord is calling us not just to express our adoration and worship by lifting up our hands. The Lord has called us not just to be obedient, but the Lord has called us to give our gifts back to him. To give our gifts, to open up our hearts and to let him have us and a part of us. That's worship. Worship is, is coming to church with a tithe and an offering. Worship is, is, is giving the Lord back the voice that he's given us. It's saying, Lord, you know what? I, I really don't like to sing in front of people, but you blessed me with this wonderful voice. I'm going to mark a, walk, walk up those stairs next week and join the choir. Worship is saying, Lord, you know I'm not the best singer, but, but Lord, you know I can show cook a pot roast. And saying, Lord, I'm going to give my gifts back to you and join the culinary committee. Worship is me saying, Lord, you know I'm not really the type of person that likes to stand in front of people. But Lord, I can show folks some bulletins. And you've blessed me with some gifted hands. 
Worship is us looking at ourselves and saying, Lord, what can I give back to you? How can I be a vital part of the body of Christ? How can I open up my treasures and and allow you to take them? Giving of gifts. You may not have money to give, but you've got something to give the Lord. We've all got our bodies to give to the Lord, our minds to give to the Lord, and our hearts and our hands. And I'm impressed by what they gave. I'm impressed by how they gave it. But I also recognize that even when we give God back our gifts, we can't outgive him. Even when we give God our talents, we can't outgive him. I thought about how they gave this gold and how gold was a, is a pure element that was often worshipped in the Middle East. But I thought about how God gave us Christ who is worth more than gold. I thought about how Christ's life was more pure than the finest gold. I thought about what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, when he says that Christ, this child who the Magi was worshiping, how he was tempted in every way that we were, but he is without sin. I thought about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. How Peter said that Jesus committed no sins and deceit was not found in his lips. I thought about how God gave us a gift that was so pure, a gift that allowed us to have life, a gift that was without sin. And because he was without sin, he was able to reconcile us back to him. And I thought about that frankincense. Yes, I did. I thought about how that frankincense gave off a nice aura and aroma. I thought about how the Magi was saying to Mary here, we want your house wherever you stay to smell good. But I thought about how they didn't outgive God because God gave us Christ and Christ is the ultimate aroma. Christ is the ultimate fragrance. His sacrifice on Calvary sent up a a, a smell to the Lord that pleased the Lord. And since Christ was the ultimate aroma, when we accept Christ, we become a part of that aroma. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, how we have received that aroma and how we are to go around and spread that aroma, that triumphal procession, and how others will smell that aroma. And it will be aroma of life or aroma of death. You can say amen. It's not going to hurt you. I thought about how Christ was the ultimate aroma for us. But then I thought about the last gift. I thought about that myrrh and how they got on their knees and gave that myrrh to Mary and to Joseph. Myrrh was an expensive gift. Myrrh was like frankincense. If it was mixed with special things, it would bring out a a sweet smell. It was often used to enhance some perfume. And I thought about Jesus and how Jesus outgave them by one day going on Calvary's cross. And when he went on Calvary's cross, the Bible says that some soldiers, that they prepared a, a little drink for Jesus. And the drink was vinegar and myrrh. The reason they put the myrrh in the vinegar was to make the drink bitter. They wanted the people who were suffering on the cross to think that they were receiving some water, but, uh, but they were actually receiving something that had a bitter taste to it. Well, Jesus, the Bible says, he rejected that myrrh. 
when he was on the cross. He said, no, 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 don't give it to me. But that's not the only time he rejected myrrh. The Bible says that after Jesus died, that he was put in Joseph's burial tomb. And when he was in Joseph's burial tomb, the Bible says that the people brought myrrh in order to prepare his body. But Jesus didn't need that myrrh because Jesus wasn't going to stay dead. The Bible says that on the third day, he rose from the grave. They didn't have time to put that myrrh on him. They didn't have time to embalm his body because Jesus is the gift that outgives every other gift. And I'm so glad that I serve a king. I'm so glad that this is the season to praise Jesus for coming down on earth and outgiving us all. The Bible says, living he loved me. The song says, living he loved me. Dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified and freed me forever. One day, one day, one day, he's coming back. He was born in a manger, born of a humble birth. Walked the streets of Nazareth. Walked the streets of, of, of Jerusalem. Treated like a common criminal. Put in a cheap tomb. He was buried and left for dead. But the Bible says he rose. And because he rose, I can rise. Because he rose, you can rise. And you've got to know that one day, yes he is. One day, yes he is. One day, he's coming back again. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified and freed me forever. And one day he's coming back. That glorious day. During this Christmas season, we have to remember who we worship and what worship is. Worship is an expression. Worship is obedience. Worship is also giving. But we can't outgive. The one who gave his life for us. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you and we pray that you would help us to press past the distractions, to press past Herod, to press past the things of the season that would cause our attention to go to them and not to you. We pray that you would help us to fall down and to adore your son to be obedient to him in every area of our lives as a result of your grace, and also to give to you what already belongs to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for a Savior, for a King who became a peasant, for a Lord who became a servant. In Jesus' name. At this time...